Welcome to this edition of the 401k and Beyond podcast. This is the longer form edition where we have meaningful discussions with folks in and around the investment community. Here is your host, Brian Williams. Hello and welcome to this edition of the show. I'm joined today by Brian Gillette. He's got a book coming out in August. August 16th is a hardcover release. You can grab that on Amazon. The title of the book is Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. How are you doing today, Brian? Oh, I'm doing well, Brian. Nice to be on your show. Thanks for having yeah. me. And on the pre-show, you talked a little bit about your background in, in the investment world. And we were just talking about how uh, we're in such a, a get rich quick society and, uh, you know, lose a certain amount of pounds and, and so many weeks and, you know, how to get in shape fast. And all this stuff is, you know, kind of garbage, to be quite frank. And all this, what you're writing about is about the long game. It's about executives and endurance athletes. So, um, so I'm excited to have you on the program. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I started my career uh, for an investment for a mutual fund uh, firm many years ago. And and one of the key things that I walked away there is you got to look the long term, whether it's in investing, whether it's, you know, in big goals, life or career. And so I I love this this correlation between looking long term for life, but also investing. They, They relate a lot. Yeah. So what caused what uh, excited you to write this book? So if I if I go back probably about 10 years ago, I was on a 300 mile one day bike ride. So it was the first time I was going to do 300 miles in 24 hours and go through the night, my first kind of time through through the night without sleep. And I thought this will be where I see my limit of where my mind and my body can go, because I've always wanted to understand where how far can the mind and the body go. And, you know, earlier in the day, I had seen somebody dead on the side of the road. Um, it was part of a two there. I was I was doing a 200 mile organized ride and then I was going to do another 100 miles by myself. And somebody you know died on the on the 200 mile. And then a little bit before that, I had collided with another bike. And I thought, oh, I mean, it was it was extremely difficult. I was being challenged. I was questioned kind of. All right. I got to keep going. And and about 25 miles through before the finish, about two, three in the morning, I, you know, I'm at 275 miles in and I realize, you know, I didn't hit that limit. And and maybe maybe I'm putting limits in my head that's preventing me from kind of reaching, reaching even even further. And then another instance, you know, my wife and I took our kids, our two boys um, five years ago around the world. We traveled around the world for a year and, you know, right before we left, friends held a going away party for us. And a couple people came up and they said, you know, I could never do what you're doing. And, and those two things, I mean, somebody, it's like, you're giving up. I mean, I understand if you don't want to do it, but you can do it. And so those two things started getting me thinking, it's like, why do we put these limits on ourselves? Why do we say we can't do something? And so I wanted to kind of go out and talk to 100 executives and find out what did they do to get to the top of their class and learn from them. And that's that's how the book came to be. Yeah, that's interesting. And how did you find these 100 individuals? So about uh, 60 of them I had known or I would I was easily connected to. And so I looked at I wanted to talk to somebody that was at the C level a founder of a company um, or a VC, something, somebody along those lines. So CHROs, CIOs, CFOs, CEOs. 
And, and then every time I would talk to somebody, I would say, all right, who else should I talk to? And then they would connect me to the others. Um, and then, um, so about, you know, two, about oh, 75% were C-level folks, executives. And then the other 25% were ultra distance athletes, somebody who had done an Ironman or the equivalent, somebody who had run a hundred miles or the equivalent, um, which is kind of that ultra distance event. Um, and I, I see some big similarities between sport, between work, and between you know somebody that achieves something big in uh, in work often achieves it in other areas because of their mindset. Yeah, that's interesting. And I imagine you found a a connection with most of these people right away. You know, I, I did. Um, you know, it was it was nice to talk to them. Um, you know, especially you know, kind of I, I've been in both seats. I've been a former human resources vice president. So I've been kind of at the executive seat and then also, you know, with some of the ultra distance events, you know, the cycling, I've also done a lot of ultra distance around running um, as well. So that's a little, I, I kind of use that, that as the backdrop for the book and then bring in, you know, what are the five pillars to achieve that peak performance? And who's your intended audience for this book? Obviously, it's you know coming out in three or four weeks, so you're hoping everybody, right? Well, Thirty Americans, yeah, yeah, thirty million should go out and buy it. But, yeah, uh, you know, hey, if if I get a million, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, you know, it, nice it's deal. it's really it's that that person that that manager that is thinking, what can how can I take it up a notch? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying you have to strive to be the CEO. I'm not saying you have to go and run eight marathons like I did. Um, but if the half marathon is your goal, if being the, the director of human resources is your goal, then how do you stretch yourself and in order to set that goal to get there? So it's how are you pushing yourself and realizing that you, you, you may have limits, but maybe those limits are a little bit further than you, you think you are. Yeah, that's interesting. And I know in, in, in the, the sports world and in the endurance world, a lot of it is set around those round numbers, right? It's 24 hours, it's 100 miles this, or did you find the people, did you find anybody in, in that group of 100 who said, you know what, on this instance, I just went too far? Or did they just constantly keep pushing those limits? You know, everybody I talked to had some failures. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, and, and that was a part of, that's the part of the learning process. It's like, okay, you had the failure. I mean, I talked to a number of people who started a company and they were too early. They were too late. Um, you know, somebody else came in and so they had to pivot. Um, so everybody had, had some, some failures, uh, along the way, but they, they learned from them. It didn't define who they were. And they were able to to try again and go on and and you know have some successes. I mean, I think I think that's a a, a big a key thing is you know you're pushing yourself when you do have those those failures. Mm -hmm. And what would the average person who says, "Geez, I'm not a runner, I'm not a biker, I'm just just an average Joe," um, am I going to pick up more from this book on the, on the business side, or is it just going to help me overall to be a little bit better person? And I think it, it'll help you look at your career. Um, mm -hmm. it'll help you look at, you know, even if you're, you're, you say, so when you say I'm not the average, I'm, I'm not a runner, I'm not a cyclist, that's all in your head. Um, for many years, I said I was not a runner. I was a cyclist to my core. And then, you know, as I was completing that 300 mile bike ride, I thought, okay, what's next? And, and I'd always told my friends, oh yeah, I'm not a runner. 
I'm not a runner. And I thought, you know, maybe I should run the run a marathon. So we we you we do that self-talk that says, hey, I, I'm not fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so that stops us. So it can help you if you say you're not a runner. It can, OK, it can help you. OK, I'm going to I, I want to train for something. Or, you know, if there's something in your career, it's like, you know, I've always wanted to start my own business. It's like, okay, what do I need to do in order to kind of, what's the first thing I need to do? And then how do I kind of move forward? For these hundred people that you talked to, did you find that they were that way all the way through? Or was there something, you know, were they super motivated in, in high school and then to college and they just kept pushing? Or was there maybe a life event that happened to them in their 20s or their 60s that pushed them in this direction? Yeah, most of them didn't have some big life event that it's like shifted them this way. You know, I, I have worked with people, I do executive coaching, and I've worked with people who you know, they had a heart attack mm -hmm. and that shifts them into doing something different. It shifts them to focusing, you know, maybe on more work-life balance. It shifts them to kind of shift into a different job and makes them, you know, it, that's, that happens. A lot of these people, it's just, it's kind of ingrained a lot in them and they have learned along, along the way. So I, I didn't see it was, oh yeah, there's this life event. I'm shifting and going in this direction. They, they've all, they've, there's always been some of that drive that kind of pushes them a little bit. And, and how did these folks find the balance between, obviously when you're training for endurance events, you're training an endurance standpoint, you're in the pool, you're in the lake, you're on your, on your bike, you're running. And how did they find that balance between starting and growing a business and doing this type of activity or were that at maybe at different points in their life? Yeah, um, I'd like to say there's a nice balance, but I don't think there is. Yeah. Um, you know, we often talk about, okay, work-life balance. I mean, you look at anybody who is a CEO, and more often than not, they have to give up other things. We all have the same. We all have 168 hours in the day or in the, in the week. And what these folks were really good at is saying, I'm going to focus my time here. Um, I'm not going to focus my time over here. So there are times when there was more balance, but when you're going really hard to something, if when, you know if you're a founder of a company, you are given everything you've got, and things at home may fall to the wayside. You know, I, I remember, I remember talking to one um, CHRO of a mid-sized technology company, um, also an Ironman. So kind of sat in in both of these seats and a former FIFA soccer referee. So refereed at the highest level, you know, so lot going on with him. And I asked him, I said, how how do you find the time to train for an Ironman? Because that's a that's a significant commitment. And and he said, he goes, you know, it's all about prioritizing. He goes, I know that when I train for an Ironman, I need to find 12 hours of the week in a week. And that's 7% of my week. And I can find 12 hours. I mean, if, if you look at kind of the amount we sleep, the amount we work and the amount we, you know, everything else, you know, how much time do you spend sitting on the couch? How much time do you spend, you know, commuting? How much time do you spend fill in the blank? And you now have to find, you know, a, a, an hour and a half a day. And I, and if it's important enough to you, you will find it. I mean, the executives that I talked to were really good at prioritizing what they had to do and what they didn't have to do. That's, that's a big thing that separates out, you know, these folks. 
What was uh, the most common trait? Was it was it that the ability to just find find the time? Is that the most common trait? I mean, that was that was a big one. Um, and and what's I mean, that's another thing, Brian, that surprised me is because epic performance. So what epic stands for? E is how do you envision the big things in life and at work in, in your career that you want to accomplish? P is how do you put a plan in place to accomplish it? I is how do you iterate to that plan? Kind of you start off, you don't start off running a marathon, you start off running, you know, two miles and three miles. So you work your way up. You don't start off at the CHRO, you start off as maybe a, a rep um, and then you work your, work your way up. The C is how do you collaborate with others who've done it? And then lastly, because somebody's done this before, somebody's failed, somebody's succeeded, and how do you learn from him? And then lastly, how do you go and do it? And so what surprised me is you're not good at all five. And so there were some people that were really good at the envisioning. You know, I talked to, to one CEO who just, I, and I had worked with him at a previous company, the best, one of the best CEOs I've ever worked with. And he goes, you know, Brian, envisioning is not my strength. I'm really good around the iterate and the plan. Mm. And that's where I focus, but I get other people to kind of help with the envisioning. So it's not like everybody's really good at this. You know, we're, we're good. They were generally, they were really good at two, maybe three, and they knew how to compensate for the other two or three. And I think that's a fascinating part of this. We think of these as being very individual sports because in a lot of ways they are, there'll be a lot of times when you're riding or running by yourself, but having that, you know, support either through work or at home or your your teammates that you're on these runs and rides with, how important that is. And, and not everybody's going to be motivated 100% of the time, but you know if you're partnered with somebody and maybe they're motivated and you're not, they'll drag you along. So so I think that collaboration part is is critical. You know, it, it is. I mean, you and I, before the, the, the show started, we were talking about Ironman up in Lake Placid and you were just up there. And I will tell you, Almost every person that is competing has somebody behind them. You know, it's a, a wife, it's a husband, it's a partner, it's a, some family member that is supporting them. You know, when I did the Tahoe 200, which was the 200 mile run around Lake Tahoe, you know, I had I had a family that supported me and could fill in during the year I was deep into training when I couldn't. I had a crew of seven people those 76 hours that were around in order to get me from the start line to finish line. So it, mm -hmm. while it, while I'm the one that gets to wear the Jersey, the, the shirt at the end, um, there is a team of people and that's no different at work. You know, there, you may be the executive that gets to stand up and take the award for the company, but you're doing that because 50 other people behind you helped do their job. Uh, to get you to that point. And so in a yeah. good executive will, 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 will make sure that he or she, you know, uh, acknowledges those people. Yeah. And in the uh, endurance world and the podiums or just Instagram shots, you, you almost never see someone standing alone. It's, it's their family, their kids are in front of them, or maybe they've got their, their teammates behind, but yeah, absolutely. That support part is, is critical. Um, did you find any common traits about any sort of upbringing or habits that started to form in high school with these folks early on, or did it just kind of all formulate together from, from different, uh, areas? It, it varied immensely. I mean, I found, I talked to people who grew up in just awful situations, grew up in this small town, not a great family environment and realized I need to get out of here. 
and started kind of pushing themselves. I talked to people who were in a very good situation and had the means and could do that. So it varied significantly. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time going back and looking at their childhood. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that'll be for the second book, but you know, in the instances when I, we did talk, I mean, it was, you know, one executive I talked to who uh, runs a fairly large organization, you know, it's an economic development arm for the capital of California and all the cities and all the major companies are part of this. And he runs this, this board. And I, and I said, what, what keeps you going? And, and he said, you know, when I was a kid, I saw my dad lose his job. And when he lost his job, he lost his dignity. Mm-hmm. And so there were situations like that where it went back to the childhood. And it's like, so that is why I work so hard because I don't want others to experience what he experienced. And that's why I worked so hard to build this, this economic region. And he's done it for a couple of regions. So there were some instances it, it went back to childhood, but I didn't spend a, a lot of time there trying to over, overanalyze, uh, you know, what went on when they were a kid. Sure. So the, the hundred you ended up with, I'm curious, did you end up with these hundred out of 120? Were there people you, that you thought would be good candidates for the book and you went through it and had to kind of weed them out or were you 100 for 100? You know, that it wasn't 100 for 100. It was like 102 for 100. Okay. Um, that's that. That's what surprised me. Um, I thought, you know, when I when I, I got the idea of interviewing 100 people and it was it was a little bit random of, of choosing 100, but it was like I can get some meaty stuff with 100 people. And and so I thought, how many people am I going to have to interview in order to get to that 100? And I only had two people that said no. Um, and one of uh, one of the one of them is say, Brian, it's just I'm going through a tough time, you know, personally, and now is just not the right time. It's like I get it. Mm. So I, that that just amazed me. I mean, I, I think when I just I just wrote a blog about this is if you know I was always worried if if I asked somebody they'd say no. You know, if you don't ask them, the answer's effectively no. So if you ask somebody, you know, whether it's for help, whether it's for this interview, you know, most people were, were, you know, very gracious and very, it's like, yeah, I'd love to do it. And, and what also surprised me is how so many of them were humbled. It's like, well, why me? And then I would kind of reiterate, well, here's why, here's what you've done. You started this company and sold it for $4 billion. I think you probably, uh, you could teach us, teach me a few things. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody's living in the world that they're in and they're, they're surrounded by what's happening and sometimes they don't have a chance to, to look back and appreciate everything they've accomplished or they're at these type of events and the only people around them are other people who are also competing in these events or doing. So this is the this is the world that they live in and they're not thinking about that outside world. So, right. Right. Yeah. That's amazing that you connected with with those people and pretty much probably hit it off with almost all of them. It, I mean, it was it was great. I mean, I I could I would love to keep have, have kept interviewing people. Um, it's just so fun to talk to really smart people, really capable people, and and it got me thinking about okay, you know, what could I have done differently? And so even as I wrote the book, it's like oh yeah, you know, I I could do this differently. So <laughs> it was it was fascinating. You know, talking to I could talk to another hundred easily. Yeah. Do you think it helped you being part of that community and going through some of the same things that they went through? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get a sense. I mean, it, it reinforces some things. Um, you know, there, there are times that I have had, it's like, oh, can I do something? 
And I think, okay, I'm the only one, you know, that imposter syndrome. I'm the only one going through going, oh, and realize that, you know, there's people at the top of their, their career that they've asked that question too. I mean, I, I remember years ago, I was working with a general manager who he had, you know, he, he oversaw most of the, probably about half the employees of this thousand person company I was working at. And he said, I, I really get nervous when I have to give presentations. And I mean, I always saw him as very confident and just, you know, when he did, he stood up and he had presence and he goes, I just, I get really nervous. And so we all have those, those anxieties and um, that's like, okay, am I good enough? And, and so that, that was kind of, you know, it, it reinforced a couple things in my head about, you know, about that. We yeah. all, we all have our, we all have our things. <laughs> right. So how have you changed since, uh, since interviewing your hundredth or hundred and second person? Yeah, um, I think one of the, one of the things I look back and, and I had, I had some stuff in the book and I ended up cutting it out of the man manuscript is all right. You know, I've, I've, I feel good about many of the things I've accomplished. I don't have any any regrets in life. But then I also think it's like, oh, you know, maybe I could have pushed a little bit harder. Mm. And, and so, I, so, you know, part of this is, you know, I wrote the book for somebody else. But I think whenever you write something, you're also it's like, OK, you, you, internally. Um, and I'm hoping my kids, you know, at the end of the day, I want my kids to be able to see this and and know that, OK, you can you can push yourself a little bit harder. I don't need to. You'll do it yourself. Right. Did, did you get a sense for those hundred people, how many of them felt they they reached their maximum uh, capacity, at least athletically, that they peaked? Or was it more of kind of what you said? I felt like maybe I could have given a little bit more or looking back. I could have done a little bit better. You know, I, I never asked that question specifically. I would bet, though, if I asked it, most of them would said, you yeah, know, I haven't reached I haven't reached my peak. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they would say I could have, you know, pushed further in life, um, because most of them got, got a fairly long way, but, um, I think they would have said, yeah, you know, I, I can continue to, to push, um, cause they all had that. All right, let's, let's see if we can go a little bit further. Now, many of them were kind of toward the end of their career. So, you know, some of them weren't, um, you know, I talked to one woman who now she had just run what about a year earlier she had run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents wow so a pretty impressive feat and she goes i recognize i have limits you know i i'm not going to win the gold medal in the olympics for you know uh, 100 meter so she knew that but i can do other things you know i can still do these other things so they knew there were some limits but I think they they don't see the limits as easily as a lot of other people. Um, they're a little bit further. Did you find this group was more likely to lead with some of their failures or successes? I would guess it'd probably be the failures since it tends to be sort of a modest group overall. But uh... I was focusing a lot more on on the successes. Um, I did ask about some of the failures, and they were they were very open. Um, you know, most of them were very open about it. But I wanted to understand what did success look like because that's what we're trying to replicate is success now part of what success looks like is being able to look at those failures and learn from them and try to avoid them a second or a third time but most of what you know a lot of a lot of success comes you want to you want to look to where you want to go 
And so that's why I looked at the success. You know, one of the CEOs I was talking to, you know, he's he does a lot of skiing and he was up hella skiing one uh, one time and he came down. And when you hella ski, you're you're skiing above the tree line and then you come through the tree line and, and you got to go through the trees and he gets down to the bottom and the uh, the guide comes and says, hey, do you, do you want me to give you some advice? And he said, yeah, he goes, when you go through the trees, look at the white, look at the snow, don't look at the trees. We often look at the obstacles. And, and that's, you see that in race cars. You see, I see that on a, on a bike. It's, we often look at the, at the hole in the road and our eyes take us there. So that's why it's like, I want to look at the successes. So look at where you want to go, not necessarily kind of spend a lot of time dwelling too much on the past. You got You got to look at those failures, but look at them, learn from them, move on. Right. That's, right. that's, what, that's have, what they did. And to have as many as early in, as you can in life, right? And yeah. Fail fast. Early on. Yeah. Fail fast. <laughs> um, I was curious if you noticed any difference generationally between some of the young, younger folks you interviewed versus some of the older folks, or was it uh, same mindset all the way through? Similar mindset, similar yeah. mindset all the way through. It's just that, hey, you know, I, I can do it. I have... I have confidence and that confidence comes from kind of early successes or smaller successes that built on it. Um, I think some of the older, older folks just had more wisdom mm -hmm. and had, uh, had another failure or two under them. And, you know, they had some of the relationships, whereas some of the younger folks didn't have as much. Um, and it was, it's easier to find, you know, some of the folks that are 40, 50, 60s, because, you know, I'm focusing on C-level folks right. or founders of companies, and there just aren't as many at the at the uh, at the um, younger ages. And do you personally think it's going to be more or less difficult for next generations to go through all this? Maybe it's more distractions or maybe it'd be a little bit easier, maybe because of the technology or the information that's out there. Yeah. I think that's the big question. Um, and I, I was on talking to somebody the other day who has a lot more psychology background than I do. And and one of the things we were talking about is this earlier generation. And, and, and I look at like kids, the kids that just had to go through the pandemic in school. And you know, you've hired, I'm sure, lots of people. I've hired lots of people. And one of the things we always look at is, you know, is this is the person resilient? Can they deal with change? And the last three years is all about building resilience and dealing with change. And so I, I wonder, some, some people obviously fell off, um, but I have to wonder, if, are a lot of these kids going to come out and, and you know, get into tough situations and realize, you know, I, I survived the pandemic. You know, my my 15 year old son, he, he he was talking at dinner time, kind of we were kind of joking around and he goes, Dad, you had it easy when you were, you know, when you were a kid. He goes, I had to survive a pandemic. I had uh, murder hornets uh, and there was one other thing he threw out. He goes, that's what I had to go through through school. And I and I think I think it will make him stronger. Um, and we'll see, I think it's going to be 10, 15 years before we start to see, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people doing studies on that, but I'm oh, hopeful sure. that we look at these last couple years and, and, you know, perseverance is a muscle and when it's mm -hmm. tested, it gets stronger and then it's tested again and it's stronger. And so it was tested a lot these last couple of years. And, mm -hmm. and I'm hopeful that, okay, we use this a benchmark that the next time we deal with something difficult, it's like, you know, I survived you know, 2020 and 2021, I can survive this or I can get through.
Yeah. And the ability to to adapt and change course, especially early on, as so many of the rules and everything were changing. Yeah. Um, yeah it's very tough on them. I mean, I, I, I've got every HR professional. I I, uh, I feel for them. I have a couple of good friends that are CHROs, and and I talked to them, and I said, "How how how are you doing?" And they said, "This is this has been the hardest you know year or two years of my career." And yeah, you know, it's yeah, and yeah, I and yeah. I, I feel for them. Yeah, and it, we're still still living through it, in, in some aspects, whether it's the inflation or trying to find good people to hire, it's definitely yeah. a challenge. And I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful that we can look back and say, okay, what good can did we learn um, coming out of that? You know, how, we had to pivot. And where were some of the good pivots? Where were some of the bad pivots? And what can we keep? And then that a lot of companies are trying to figure out. You know, are they going to be hybrid? Are they going to work from home all the time? So, you know, I think these are good discussions to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're trying to learn if that's if that's good for people to kind of be always on. If you're, you know, twenty feet away from your office all weekend, is that good or bad? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I last I agree. question for you is I'm I'm curious yeah. about people. Um, you know, in the endurance space, sometimes it's about moving that goalpost, right? It's like all I ever want to do is complete a marathon, and then it becomes. A, did you find that to be difficult for people, or were did you find enough people to say, you know what, I did it, I accomplished my goal? You know what's next? Were there a lot of people always chasing the next thing? Oh, I think most people were. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know a part of a part of what I look at with the epic performance. And the last one is perform, and and part of performance is you know it's persevering through difficult times. It's analyzing kind of how things are going. But the last part is really how are you aiming higher? Mm -hmm. So it is this iterate process. And and most of the people I talk to, you know, they they achieve something. And then it's like, okay, what is next? That's a, that's a right. very common question. Um, and, and I think that is a big reason why they are where they are is because they're not content with the status quo. It's not like they're looking back and going, oh man, I wish. It's like, okay, how do I get there? And mm -hmm. what's what's the next big, I, I, I did the half marathon. Now I'm going to do a marathon. Now I'm going to do an Ironman. Now I, you know, I got to a CHRO of a 500 person company. Maybe it's a thousand person company, or I want to do this. So they're always looking at how can I, how can I, how can I learn more, be better, and, and grow? Yeah, or do the same thing faster. <laughs> do the same thing faster. Do the same yeah. thing better. Do it. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the one big takeaway? If you could give one big takeaway, let's say to a 22 year old graduating college. Yeah, so we didn't talk much about of it is, you know, how do you make sure you don't have any regrets when you're 80 years old? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a lot of things as you jump into your career and trying to figure out, okay, do I go this way? Do I go this way? And, and one of the questions I think you should always ask yourself is, all right, if I've got this opportunity to do something really big, Will I regret not doing it in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? And so ask that question. And if your answer is yes, then seriously look at doing it. Um, and, and these things take time. I mean, just they, we go back to the kind of the beginning of investing. You don't get rich quick. The only person who gets rich quick is the person who wrote the book, Get Rich Quick. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, um, it takes time and you got to be able to to know that you're in it for the long game. All right. Well, I I echo those sentiments, that's for sure. The book is Epic Performance by Brian Gillette. It'll be uh you can pre-order it now, so it'll be at your doorstep ready to ready to be read on August uh, 16th. Um 
And it's about epic performance. Envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. Put your plan into action. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brian. Good talking to you.